Welcome to Avatar with Academics. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I have never watched Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm Annie Berglund, and I have watched it before. Annie, we have made it to Book 3 Fire, Chapter 7, The Runaway. Yes, and where we came off last week with um, the episode on the Fire Lord and Avatar, it was intense. We had a two-hour-long episode, just to unpack it, and you and I were saying, like, we could talk about this for hours after that. Like, yes. It's, there's so much. <laughs> we could just do Avatar and, Avatar and the Fire Lord Part 2 right now and just be like, let's just keep talking about it. But but yeah, like, I I uh, I like the, the way that they balance these episodes out. That um, this just does not have the uh, intense stakes uh, like grand world historical stakes that avatar and the fire lord does uh but there i think there there is there are some really important things that happen in this episode um but it but it it feels it just feels very different Uh, and i will say this is an episode that has um some more fun to it there's not a ton of fun in avatar and the fire lord there's (laughs) there's like one moment halfway through where they make a where they, they, they like make a very conscious joke. Other than that, it's like, it is just a serious, serious episode. So see, we've yes. started to do it. We're talking about last week's episode instead of this week's. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, and it's like, and it's like with, um, yes, after last week's episode, all I wanted was like to flesh out and to answer all my questions to be like, are my speculations even close to correct? We don't get any of that this episode, but I think it's a good thing. Like, I think mm-hmm. that they could not do another really heavy episode right afterwards, especially because remember it is a kid show. Mm-hmm. So it's like nice to have a little bit of a break. Um, and when we still are developing characters a lot and, yep. um, kind of like a tough centric episode which we haven't gotten in a long time yep and their track their track record shows us that we could have predicted that this one was going to be a left turn from where we went before so they almost they almost never follow up a history filled episode with another another episode that's going to try to answer those answer those big questions that get raised and in fact what they tend to do is ignore them and say we'll sit on that for a while life goes on so let's let's and what, one of the fun things about this episode is it deals with something we were very interested about all the way back to season one which is the the finances of <laughs> of, of the ang gang and this one this one spends a lot of time with that yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like, they're really close to, presumably, to this Chisozin's Comet. Like, it's it's nearing. <laughs> like, this final battle that they're preparing for is just around the corner. So, like, they need money, but they only need so much before this happens, right? So, like, we start out with them not with a lot of money, and uh, but, it, but it doesn't seem like they're too worried about it, because I think they know, like... We're towards the end. Right. Yeah. All right. Should we, we jump the episode? Let's do it. <laughs> okay. So we open up on a town square and the center of it is this ginormous statue of this absolutely ripped man. And I think it's Fire Lord Ozai. It kind of looks like him. I'm just going to guess. We've really, yeah, that was my assumption. Silhouette. Yeah. Um, and there is fire blowing out of his bald fists and his open mouth that's facing the sky. It's just like perpetually fire coming out of this statue. I feel like we've seen an image of Ozai like this before, haven't we? Where he's like blowing fire up into yeah. the sky. I think it was in maybe in one of 
Aang's dreams or visions, we saw yeah. like a flash of it. Yeah. It must be Ozai. I think it's in Avatar State. I think it's in that episode. Yeah. That we see that. that so. Um, so this is this town. It's Fire Nation, obviously. Toph is running down the street towards this statue of Ozai. And she's rum- running from something or someone. And a net is thrown at her. And it captures her and pulls her down to the ground. And she yells, how could you do this to me? You betrayed me. And standing above her is a furious Katara who says that Toph has brought this on herself. She says, I had no choice but to betray you. And then we see Fire Nation guards drag Toph away. And that's the cold open. And I read that this is the only time that we have a cold open in the series where it's like you start in the mid. I know there's a phrase for it. Do you know the phrase, Sam? Uh, I mean, it's like you... in media's res is 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 one way to yes. to think about it, yeah. Yes. Where absolutely. where the action's already happening, you jump in, you don't know, and then and then it and then it in flashback sort of leads you back up to that moment. Yes, you back up and you you kind of learn the rest of the story. So this is the only this is the first and the only time that happens at the start of an episode in Avatar. But what's great is you don't know that. So so unlike other stories that start that way, um, usually it's a singular story where it's like, I don't know what's happening. I'm thrown into the, the confusion. And then I, and then we're going to slowly make sense of it. This is like episode 47 of this show. And it's like, (laughs) what? Like, so, so like we have history with these two characters. So it is so confusing. Like I had this moment where it's like, did something happen with the streaming? Cause like, this doesn't make sense that this, and then, then when it cuts to, uh, three days earlier and you're like oh well we're going to see where this leads and um, yeah and so so that was exciting because I'm a, I'm always a fan of stories like that. Me too I love like the chaos at the start like the hook and then bring you back through it. Let me ask you a question about stories like this when you watch them because I almost always forget the thing I saw at the beginning yeah. Like I don't, I don't mean to, but like I get caught up in the story, and then when it replays, I was, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I knew this. Like the movie Memento works on me because I always forget the stuff I've already seen, and then when we hit, when we, when time runs back into it, I'm, it, the trick works every time, and I'll say it worked on, worked for me on this one. Yeah, I think like when a story is done well, that's what happens, right? And it's like when it's a, not a great convincing story it's like the whole time you're just kind of sitting and waiting for that moment to start right but with this one no like it it shows up when you don't really expect it halfway through the episode so we do get this three days earlier um screen after this cold open and we see Toph and Katara standing across from each other along a river bake and they're in their battle positions they're battle ready Katara has her water arms on um Toph is in a low stance so it seems like there's animosity already. Like they go back and it seems like, okay, they're fighting now, but really we realize that they are in the middle of training Aang and we see Aang with a blindfold on and he's shirtless. He's like ready for battle. So he takes a step and we get that tough vision. That's kind of like the seismic movement of the ground. It's like echolocation almost or like, Mike calls it daredevil vision mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it, of the ground when he takes a step and you see like the circles around it. But I think it's Aang that's sensing that, right? 
Yeah, I think this is the first time that we've seen him use this. So it's it's this great, really quick indication that he has really learned a lot from Toph. Yes, like now, and the fact that he is blindfolded while facing these attacks, like, it's pretty cool. Um, Toph is shooting boulders up from the ground uh, when she senses his step, but Aang easily kind of slides, like, literally glides across the earth. Uh, avoiding each of those, and also Katara's water whips. So he has these two masters that are fighting him with different elements, all while he's blindfolded, uh, but he's holding his own. And he gets a rare congratulations and compliment from Toph, who says, good job, Twinkle Toes. Visualize, then attack. And Toph shoots another boulder through the air at Aang, but he, like, sucks himself down into the ground below, and so the boulder doesn't hit him, but hits who's behind him, which is Katara. And she gets really angry. Understandably. And um, Toph says, what's the matter? Can't handle some dirt, Madam Fussy Bridges? <laughs> Toph's always great with, like, really weird <laughs> insults. Right? Apparently that insult comes from Shawshank Redemption. Ah. Which is, huh. yeah. I read that and I was like, oh, okay. I truly... Unfortunately, I've never seen it. I know I should see it, but um, do you remember that line from it? Uh, not. I'm a big fan of that movie, and I that doesn't that line doesn't jump out to me. <laughs> okay, well, that's what Avatar Wiki said, so I'm going to be really embarrassed if it's like an April. I'm sure it's true. Just didn't take down. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Katara sends a, a tidal wave at Toph in retaliation, and she's like, "Oh, sorry, did I splash you, mud slug?" And like, this isn't they're joking bending fights like we've seen before like this is actual frustration at each other there's real tension yeah yeah and so they rush after each other um using their elements but they kind of like ram into each other and fall over meanwhile ang is standing there blindfolded and he's like uh we finished fighting and sokka attempts a sneak attack which he yells sneak attack and then charges at ang and ang easily just sends up a boulder that Sokka runs right into and ang is like it's not a sneak attack if you yell sneak attack right <laughs> it was so, a good joke it was a good it was like solid joke yes and this episode is very much like the girl's intention the boys just like messing around and Kind and of, kind of observing, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so Katara and Toph continue to fight with water and earth, and they're just creating this huge mess of mud. And they're taunting each other, insulting each other, calling each other names. Aang finally takes his blindfold off, and he interrupts them, and he's like, can we get back to training? But Katara dismisses him for the day. She's She kind of does like a, <clears throat> and like clears her throat, and she's like, oh, that'll be all for today, Avatar. Like tries to take on this air of being a master and Toph says while Katara cleans up let's go have some fun to the boys and she and the boys rejoice and they go off while Katara cleans up which would be really frustrating if you were Katara <laughs> to have that assumed right because it's it's not just that she's going to clean herself up but presumably she's got to clean up whatever mess they made yes, which tends to be them. the way that this goes right and we see her doing this a lot throughout the whole episode is like even subtly scenes of her cleaning or cooking or being the mom. So <laughs> we see a, a shot of then two red hawks flying high toward this mining or industrial town. That's this is a town that's just outside of the campsite of the Aang gang. And in the town, 
we see the Aang gang minus Katara walking through the streets and these smokestacks up in the background. And then more messenger hawks continue to descend on the town. Um, they're kind of landing on that Ozai statue and Sokka's really impressed enough so that he wants to go buy one himself as a pet messenger hawk. Uh, this makes know... me think, yeah, this makes you think of like the owlery in, uh, in uh, Harry Potter. Like, like I, I never thought about the messenger hawks this way, but like seeing them all sort of come and go makes me think of, of that. And, and uh, yeah. Yes, especially like the first book when they're all going into the Dursleys' home. Mm -hmm. And that was like my favorite. I mean, you know, I'm an animal lover, but that was like my favorite part about the Harry Potter series. It's like the idea that you could own like a, well, a cat, I guess, or an owl, or a, was it a rat? Yeah, yeah, Ron has a rat. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that one's the least exciting. But like to be able to own a messenger hawk, I'm on board with Sokka. I think that sounds pretty cool. And we also and know that he he and I share the love of shopping. So. Yeah. And like in adding another, like we haven't added someone to the gang in a while. So like adding a, yeah. another animal to the gang would be kind of cool. Right. So he, he goes, maybe I should buy for himself. We kind of see him doing that shopping debate that he's had before. And he's like, that way I wouldn't have to talk to anyone. I could just send messages. And Toph says with a laugh, like, I like the idea of not talking to you. And Aang asks, you know, in all seriousness, what should we actually buy with our last silver piece? So they're down to just one. Uh, and Toph says, we should buy more money. And she points to a side street below them where she senses this group of about a dozen men who are sitting around a low table. And there's three upside down bowls on top of the table. And they're all watching. And there's one dealer. So the man at the center of the group, the dealer, places a blue rock under a bowl and shuffles it quickly so that the player who gave a silver piece has to guess the right bowl and then they win some, I guess, another silver piece. Whatever. You, you double your money. It's a classic shell game situation. Yeah, yes. This is me trying to describe games that I have never played because they <laughs> intimidate me. So <laughs> get ready for a lot of unnecessary explanation. So Toph says... This is where you seeing people are at a disadvantage. Everyone guesses wrong because the dealer moves the rock at the last minute, but I can feel it with my earth bending, which is interesting because the way that he is cheating is that he flings it up into his sleeve so she can sense the rock leaving the table. But as we'll see later, it seems like she can even sense the rock as it's in the air. Uh, which I guess we've seen her do yeah. before. Well, and I think more what it is is she can sense when it's there and then when it's not. So she can tell when it goes away. Yes. And that, that's what she can take advantage of. Right. And so um, as she's saying this, we see the dealer transfer this rock sneakily from one bowl to the other as he shuffles. And the player loses and starts to cry. Uh, and so then once that player walks away, we see a very confident Toph and kind of an uncertain Sokka and Aang approach the dealer's table. And the dealer asks if Toph would like to play, and she plays dumb. We've seen her do that before. Yes. She says, how could I possibly play? I'm blind. And the dealer says, oh, you don't have to see to be lucky, right? And he like wants to get her in and get her money. So she sits down, feels for the table in a really exaggerated way, like she doesn't know where it is. What are these things on the table? And she draws the silver piece from her pouch and places it on the table as her bed. And the dealer shuffles the bowls and cheats, kind of, but he adds a 
a rock to each of the bowls. So instead of shifting them around, he wants her to win so he can hook her for future cheats. Are you a fan of like con man movies? Movies like no. The Sting or things. See, I love I love them. So like this <laughs> this got me excited to be like, oh, we're gonna this is like a, a hustler movie kind of thing. Like like I'm I'm very I'm very excited for this. So, so this is like the classic part of the con where you like you're basically sandbagging. You get them to win a small bet. So you can then convince them to to bet big, and then you—that's when you make your big score. Yes. Please also chime in whenever I'm trying to describe these things, Sam. I don't know if I've ever really seen like a full movie like that. Um, I think the only thing I know about games in general is that one song that's like, "You got to know when to hold them, know when." The gambler, to yes. Fold them. <laughs> and I get the lyrics wrong, and Mike's like, "Annie, that's not the advice he's trying to give." So uh, I'm useless here. Anyway, though, Toph senses that he's cheating. And she smiles, so she chooses any old bowl, and she knows that she's right. And Aang goes, Flamio, Toph. Did you and Anne like that, Sam? I loved it. Whenever whenever we get the, the Flamio, Hopman is my favorite phrase, but, but Flamio is pretty great. It's pretty good. And the dealer says, wow, fancy guessing. You're amazing at this. Would you like to make the game a little more interesting? And Toph, still playing dumb, says, more interesting? How? And the dealer suggests that they toss in Sokka's sword and that he'll match it with 20 pieces. But Toph ups it to 40 silver pieces. No, I will say, um, I presume, I'm going to make a presumption about you that you're not much of a gambler. I think I can't. Uh, I think I would be. Okay. If I was in those situations. But I... I choose to not do it because okay. I, I feel like i would really like it you know me i kind of like make rash decisions sometimes sure yeah i will say i am not a gambler at all like <laughs> you know and it's it's precisely because of moments like this like it's one thing when it's like oh, okay it's a silver piece and like it's a it's a game that's bent in top's favor because she she can sense where things are and she can do all these things but like once you get pulled into gambling something you can't afford to lose. Like my, my, my chest tightens up. I get very nervous. So like, I don't love the like Sokka sword on the line thing. Right. Like, like I get, I always get very nervous for those things. Um, I, I feel like I have, I don't know that I've, I've never experienced losses like that. But like it feels like I have this kind of trauma about it, maybe inherited from something. But it's just like, like I, I never like those moments in movies, which is funny because I love like like a con man movie. But a con man movie is always about those things, right? It's about how do you convince the person to gamble the thing that's of great value to them. Um, yeah. But like, but I, but I think what I love about them is, is there is this tension that I hate about moments like that. So this is the exact moment why I am not a gambler is because because you you end you often end up in situations where you're betting something you can't afford to lose. Right. Yes. Um actually I was just thinking I think parasite is kind of there's like an element of like heist or conning yeah, start, oh, right? Parasites is absolutely the the especially the first part of Parasite is very much yeah. a con man movie. Yeah, I love stuff like that. Okay, I'm I'm yeah. really into that. Maybe when it's like cards and money and things, it's a little bit less yeah. 
I get overwhelmed. And I also think that someone like Toph would be great at this, not only because of her abilities, but also because she's real smooth. She's savvy. She knows how to lie quickly. Like those are things that I, I am not. Well, and I, I also think Toph is self-sufficient enough where I think she actually believes she has nothing to lose. Yeah. Which is funny because she's the wealthiest person there. Yes. But she's already like even leaving her home was this kind of gamble, right? Yeah. But Toph is also like a like a casino owner cuz she likes games that are tilted in her favor. She uh the whole wrestling gambit was kind of a fixed game. Like like the mm-hmm. whole point was they get people to to like get behind this hulking person and this hulking person. And then this little kid defeats them because that's actually the, the more powerful bender. So, so she is, she from the very beginning has been a con artist. Um, yes. So this is, this is actually so much in her, um, in her lane to do this. This is not something new for her. Oh yeah. I'm sure she's having so much fun with it. Cause it's been a while since she's been able to do that mm-hmm. to like be so underestimated. And yet, come out the winner every single time and she likes to make smug people feel stupid yes and she loves a great excuse to use some insults and some funny names Mm -hmm. so why not and and to play off her being underestimated because of her vision so like it's all of the things that she loves yes so um they up it to 40 silver pieces for the sword right And the dealer shuffles the bowls and he flips the stones from each of those bowls into his sleeves, right? So now there are no stones on the table, but Toph senses them leave the table and she earth bends one of the stones back under the bowl without the dealer noticing that it hadn't gone up into his sleeve, right? So one is still on the table. She chooses that bowl. The dealer begins to apologize, but then flips over the bowl and realizes Unfortunately, the stone is there. He just lost 40 silver pieces to this young blind girl. And Toph grabs the money and runs. (laughs) Yes. So Toph, Aang, and Sokka walk back to their camp then with these wicker baskets full of like food and items. And they're laughing loudly. And it's really confusing to Katara, who's, uh, we see her boiling water for for their meal, right? So she's like setting up camp. She has already cleaned everything. Everyone's coming home ha- from a great day of conning. And um, she asks- And it's clear that they're having fun is part is an important piece of this, right? Yes. And she asks where they got the money from. And Aang says, Toph scammed one of those guys in town who moves the shells around all sneaky-like. And Katara says that that's cheating. Uh, but Toph defends her actions because she's cheating a cheater. And that's something that Katara knows about. We saw her do that with the water scroll. Like she was like, it's okay if you steal from a thief. Right. So it's like similar logic being played out. Absolutely. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that connection, but you're, you're absolutely right. That's, but that's also an argument that, uh, that we look at Katara and we're like, but still, is that okay? I mean, Top's not Top's not wrong, but I like that this gets into sort of this ethics type of thing of like, well, if they're if they're actually if she's just giving them a taste of their own medicine, then is that okay? Maybe yeah. it's at least it's at least morally gray or neutral rather than like um, rather than sort of clearly right, clearly wrong. 
Right. And it's interesting coming off of our our Katara-centric episode when she um, is the painted lady and she's she's more than willing to steal supplies when it's for mm-hmm. the good of this community that's um, essentially, I mean, basically a colonized like Fire Nation or at least just a, a poor um, community. So, Well, it's interesting because we tend to celebrate robin hood figures like the painted lady right who steal to give to other people who are poor but if you are poor yourself and you steal for yourself we very almost we almost never culturally uh celebrate those those folks although what is the difference right yeah yeah (laughs) these are big questions yeah (laughs) i have no answers and i feel like if i go either direction i will (laughs) yeah i don't i don't don't want to answer either of those yes (laughs) so katara is like but but she's sticking on this she's like this is cheating um she's like okay this one time is fine we maybe we need money whatever this shouldn't become a habit especially because it could draw attention to us that we don't want to have right and so Toph then basically calls her a buzzkill. She says, you hate fun. And Katara defends herself. She's like, I don't hate fun. And she grabs a nearby Momo, puts him on her head to kind of make a hat. And she like makes a face and is like, see, I love fun too. And like trying to do one of those jokes that she just can never land. Yeah, it's such like a mom or dad joke of like, yeah, like what would be fun? Put a crazy thing on my head. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Watch me be goofy. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So um, at this, Aang stands up solemn and he bows towards Katara as his master and says, I give you the Avatar's promise that we won't take scamming and make it into a habit. Okay. So when he said that, before we even see the next scene, are you disappointed in Aang? Yeah. Yeah. I don't like the... I don't like the avatar promise thing. It'd be one thing if he said, we won't do it again. It's another thing to be like, I'm putting the weight of, of like, of my avatar behind this. I, I don't love yeah, that. Yeah. My, like my honor and my, yeah. Ev- mm. <laughs> it's a little too much. Yeah. But we do see that. So we cut abruptly to the next scene and it does play off pretty funny too, though. Yes, absolutely. Him, like, juggling silver coins between his fingers and like doing fancy juggling with them. And there's like carnival music playing behind him. And we see then the scene, we don't hear anything. It's just this carnival music playing. And we see Toph moving from game to game and just destroying each of them. So we see her scamming people who have this game where you like throw sticks and they have to land a certain way. And it's a dice game. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> they looked like sticks, so I was I did not make the Yeah, it's it's basically like a like a four-sided die because they're they're rectangular so they could never land on their ends cuz they're pointed at the ends, but yes, it's it's some complex Fire Nation dice game they're playing. <laughs> Sam, I found a future podcast for us after we're done with this and there's going to be a gaping hole not having like hours of recording i think that we should um talk about games i think that we should have me watch i like it like craps i don't Uh uh-huh that's a thing I, i describe it and uh go from there 
I actually love the idea of you watching a game being played and then try to describe the rules of the game. <laughs> I love that idea. Well. It's never gone well for me. So, um, so we see her doing the, the dice, the throwing sticks game, and then uh, she has like she goes to this like test your strength game, um, which is one that I've seen before. So mm-hmm. I was I was proud of that. Uh, people kind of snicker as her at her as she walks up because somebody who was just doing the test your strength game was huge. And then you get this, what, 14, 13 year old girl. Um, but she blows them away because she's able to fix the, the system. So she keeps winning all of these silver pieces. And then we get to probably the diciest scene where we see this fancy horse-drawn cart going through an empty street and there's a wealthy man in a robe sitting inside and he's like drinking tea in his cart. Toph comes out of an alley, bends a bump up in the road and then fakes getting hit by the cart. And then we see Sokka in a fake beard. Um, is it, it's Mr. Fire, is that Yes. Him? Okay, <laughs> Mr. Fire comes back to- Wang <laughs> Fire, I think. Yes, <laughs> he has that the same fake beard on and like kind of has his arms crossed very much the same energy of, of Mr. Fire. And he catches the wealthy man who then offers him bags and bags of money to keep from punishing him or to keep this secret. So I have to say, what? you're right. That, that scam stopped being like, we're just <laughs> cheating crooked games to like, now we're, we're actually like scamming people <laughs> and it's fraud. Yeah. It did. It did make me think of uh, John Ralphio from Parks and Rec. Because, how, well, because how he got the money for Entertainment 720 is he got run over by Alexis. And then they have a later plan of how they're going to get money. He's like, I know a guy who drives a whatever. And he's just, and it's like, that's John Ralphio's plan for getting money. And the fact that Toph is on the, uh, using playing from the John Ralphio playbook is pretty funny. Yeah, I could just see her being like, I got run over by a horse cart. <laughs> right. <laughs> In like a very John Ralphio way. Thank you for singing cuz I was not about to sing. So thank you. You you nailed it. <laughs> so, um back at their camp, Katara pleads with the gang to stop cheating people, right? She's like, you are getting more and more money. This is becoming a habit. And it could cause something bad to happen to all of us collectively and the Avatar. Toph calls her a sourpuss, says, you need to just lighten up. And Katara hits back by calling Toph a wild child. And Toph's like, yeah, yes, that is me. Maybe you should be more like me. Right? It, it, she's like, it's nice living with no rules, being able to travel the world, to win money, to have wealth, have no parents. And when she says that, Katara jumps on it and says, oh, you must be acting out because of your parents. She said, they were controlling over you, so you ran away. And now you act like your parents don't exist. You act like you hate them, but you don't. You just feel guilty. No one loves when somebody else is trying to psychoanalyze them. Right. Right. Especially when they do it pretty well. Right. It's not a great feeling (laughs) to be seen in that way. And Toph's like, I do hate them. I hate my parents. But Katara's like, I don't think you do. And she's, go ahead. What's interesting about this, too, is that the the person who's doing this is somebody who has been forced to basically live without parents. I mean, Toph has parents who don't understand her, but like 
care for her to a certain degree, but kind of want to control her. And Toph reject, rejects them, where Katara and Sokka are in an opposite situation where they lose their mother. And at least Katara has struggled with feeling abandoned or rejected by her father as he goes off to fight, right? So she doesn't play the personal card here, but there is this kind of thing where it's like, it, it sort of makes sense for, for Katara to be like, you're actually, you don't see yourself as lucky that you have parents to yeah. reject. <laughs> like Katara doesn't have the, that, that opportunity. Yeah. Like what a luxury <laughs> to be able to, to have that. And then to say, I don't want it. Um, so uh, she says, so Katara says to Toph, I think you miss them, but you don't want to deal with that. So instead you act like a crazy person. And now at that, this cool collected Toph is raging and Katara's like, well, okay, none of this matters anyway. Let's stop bickering. We just need to lay low and avoid more problems like the third eyed freak who's after them. And I'm glad they brought this up because it's been a while since we addressed the like world destroying assassin who is on their trail. <laughs> Right, like Aang has been to the spirit world and back, and we haven't really heard about the assassins since then, so I'm glad it's it's coming back. Uh, and Sokka chimes in and says, speaking of that third-eyed freak, I think I've come up with a name for him. This is perhaps the worst joke he's ever made. He says, what do you think of Sparky Sparky Boom Man? And there's a long pause, and Sokka shrugs, and he's like, well, just, just think about it. Um, I loved it. It's <laughs> I hate the name, but I love the... I love the moment and, and we're going to learn the origins of the name that he's, this guy's then going to go by. And I think you brought it up last or uh, two weeks ago and I rejected that name, but I didn't know the origins of it. So I'm actually on board with that name. Yeah. Now. I didn't know if it was like a fan made name, you know, like they just collectively decided to call him that or yeah, but it, it comes from this episode. Yeah. So <clears throat> Katara and Toph, continue to yell at each other. They're, they're literally like stomping their feet <laughs> with verbal jabs at each other too. And Toph ends it by basically saying, you can't tell me what to do. She's like, I'll stop scamming when I want to stop, not when you tell me. And then she storms away towards the edge of the camp and bends a small rock tent like we've seen her do before when she fights with Katara. And she slams the door in a way that a rock bender would or earth bender would. And Sokka's like, all right, <laughs> trying to diffuse some tension. And he's like, well, I'm going to go spend some money, right? Like, I'm going to go shop. <laughs> Which um, is great. I, I, I wish we got more shopping Sokka scenes. Yes. Also, like, I'm with him when everything is tense, when people are being kind of crappy to each other. Like, yeah, I'm going to get out and I'm going to spend some dollars. Some of my hard-earned scam cash. That's right. So he, he walks up to a shop in the town or walks out of a shop of the town, excuse me. And on his arm, he's holding a messenger hawk. And we now have a very temporary uh, fifth member. Wait, fifth, sixth, seventh. How many members are in the Aang gang? We got the full. There's four people. There's Appa and there's Momo. So there's six. So the hawk makes okay. seven. Yeah, seven now with the animal. So our seventh member of the Aang gang. And he, he names it Hockey. So he says, Hockey, welcome to Team Avatar. My name's Sokka. I'm your new owner. And as such, I would, should warn you that there's already a lemur in our group, so I just don't want to see any fighting. Love it. And he, <laughs> he talks to Hockey. <laughs> I love the name Hockey, by the way. Great name. 
Um, I love the hockey arch or story arc rather. Uh, he talks to it like, like Aang kind of talks to Momo and that like Momo doesn't respond, but it's just kind of like talking out loud. Um, so Sokka finally has that in an animal companion and the hawk shrieks and Sokka coos at it and tickles its belly and says, good widow messenger hockey, who's got pretty feathers. And we see him walk off the screen, but then he turns around and does a double take because behind him on the wall was a wanted poster with Toph's face poorly drawn on it. And the hawk screeches and Sokka says, you're right, hockey, this is bad. And then we see the hawk poop on his hand and go to the next scene. So what was interesting about the, the wanted poster is trying to, um, having this moment of like, Toph is already, we've seen wanted posters before. Toph is already has a bounty on her head <laughs> and now there's this and it. And, and I just had this moment. This is where I remembered the scene where we see the scene from the beginning. When I saw this, I was like, Oh yeah, there's this thing where Katara has her captured. And I was just like, I then I was trying to think like, who is this that's capturing her? Is it, the people that her parents sent to try to capture her. Is it, mm. is, what is this? Cause we don't, we can't read the wanted poster right away. So I just had this moment of like, has news of Toph Beifung made it to the fire nation that they're searching for her there too. Yeah. And like, there's all this talk about family and missing your family and being there for them. And like, maybe Katara like sends her off to her family with the bounty hunters. Like who knows? Right. Right. Like, right. Yeah. So back at the camp, Aang and Katara are practicing waterbending down river and Sokka stealthily approaches Toph and he shows her the wanted poster um, of what is called, they nickname her the runaway. And which is, like, which is also, yeah, which is also great. Cause that's also the episode title. And again, you see the runaway, you think about Toph and you're, and I, and I instantly go back to thinking about her parents and not this mm. other thing. Mm-hmm. And so Sokka confronts her and holds this poster out. And he's like, do you see this? And she's like, nope, I can't. <laughs> I can't see, remember? And he's like, oh, right. And so he explains, like, this is a water poster. You're on it. They call you the runaway. And Toph is elated. She loves that she has a nickname. She loves the fame about this. Like, it probably brings her back to her days with the boulder and um, all of back at her hometown and she asks if the photo on her looks good or the photo on the poster looks good if she looks good in it and we see like it's really poorly drawn it's similar to kind of Sokka's drawings we've seen in the past where it's like she has like shark like teeth and like two dots for nostrils and like looks kind of like an evil gremlin and he's like well actually it does look pretty good and then he's like, maybe, you know, that maybe Katara's right. And like, we need to lay low. And Toph says, don't worry. The money is going to be useful for the invasion plan, right? And Sokka's like, well, that's true. I had the idea of making armor for Appa. <laughs> Amazing. Please let that happen. And uh, Toph's like, see, right? Yes. And keeps handing him more money. And she's like, here, you, you can buy this and you can buy this. And she's convincing him to keep the wanted poster a secret because she has the money and she can give it to him for all of his shopping needs. And I like what we see here is now Toph is starting to scam and con people within the Aang gang. 
Yeah. She, she she's yeah, she's now become like an organized crime person where it's like, well, now I have this money so I can silence people, I can I can get people to do what I want. You know, like like she she has this kind of power because of this wealth, which is something she's familiar with, power and wealth. Yeah, it's a slippery slope. Like it starts out with just the the dealer who's cheating other people, and then it's a random guy in a cart, and then it's your own friends and the people that you are scamming with. Um and then I do like the rest of the episode. It's kind of like Sokka and Toph are on the same side. They kind of are buddy-buddy in this episode. Right. <laughs> uh, so Toph walks off just as Aang and Katara join. And they, they're they like, um, Katara's like, did you, you didn't buy a messenger hawk, did you? And Sokka's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did. And she's like, do you even know how to use it? And he's like, oh, I I guess not. And he points at the hawk and he's like, hockey, grand, grand, south pole. But nothing happens. And Momo hisses and attacks hockey. It's just not, it's not going to work out. And uh, later, we see Katara is sitting again at uh, the pot that she's making for, um, for a stew, I guess. And we see her water bending um, to cook, but also to send some of the stew into Appa's mouth. It's just a second, but it's like she is doing a lot of the hard work yep. for for the crew. And we're going to see this this parental thing keep coming up, and she is definitely, whether she's chosen it or having having had it thrust upon her, she's definitely in the parental role for this for this group. Yeah, and you don't see her like complaining about it. She doesn't say like I'm I'm carrying the weight or I'm doing. It. She just she does it. She mm-hmm. just knows that that's her role. Um, so Sokka and Toph arrive and they're back from scamming more people, just the two of them. And Katara confronts them again about the dangers of it. And she's, she's like, are you sure it's not dangerous? And she holds up the poster and she's like, well, then what's this? And again, Toph's like, I can't see it. What's with you people? I'm blind. And Katara's like, oh, well, (laughs) it's the wanted poster. Do you like your little nickname? And Toph then realizes that Katara must have dug through her stuff to find the wanted poster while she was gone. And Toph goes, you have no right. And Katara says, your stuff was messy and I was just straightening up and I happened to stumble across it. And Toph calls her on her line. is like, nope, you were looking through my stuff for this. And man, does that hit hard with some past memories of growing up with two older sisters and my mom and just like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and, and they, they go out of their way to write Katara like a sitcom mom in these, you know, in these things where it's like, I was just in your room, I was doing this, and I found this, and now we need to talk about this. And yeah, like, 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 like it is, they, they, they hint at sort of the, the parental stuff, and then so that they can lean straight into it. And there's going to be more of, of Katara just like, basically reading mom script. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it uh, brought back some memories. So Toph walks away, storms away, and Katara says, you can't walk away when I'm talking to you. And Toph answers, oh, really, mom? What are you going to do? Send me to my room? Well, you can't. You're not my mom. And then she points at Aang and Sokka and says, and you're not their mom. And they're just standing there watching. And uh, Toph accuses Katara of being bossy, of forcing this role of mother on them. 
And she's like, you're just a regular kid like the rest of us. So stop acting like you can tell me what to do. I can do whatever I want. Now, what's interesting is this is not the first time that somebody reminds Katara that she is a kid. Yeah. You see this at the very beginning when, when, um, the very beginning, I think, I think episode one or two, when Katara says, you know, I haven't done this since I was a kid. And Aang turns her and says, you are a kid. Right. And, and again, Toph's not wrong. Katara is not the mom. Katara doesn't like when people just make themselves the leader. Katara has become kind of has made herself the, the mother, the leader in a particular kind of way. Um, so Toph is really calling her. I mean, they're both, I think, legitimately calling each other out on some things. Yes. Um, and they're the kinds of things that neither of them really want to realize. Toph doesn't want to realize all of this sort of parental angst in her life. And Katara doesn't want to realize that she has this tendency to kind of jump into these controlling situations and wanting yeah. to control situations and wanting to make people be the way she wants them to be sometimes. Yeah. I think this episode's really good too, though, because it's like, Hmm. Like you said, it's not, neither of them are wrong. And actually, like, both of their tendencies are not always wrong, too. Like, we've seen Katara usher them through a desert <laughs> when, when like, half of them are high on cactus juice and, like, Aang is gone and Appa's gone. We've seen her, like, hold and be the literal mother of Jesus, like, holding Aang and then, like, healing him, at, like, when he probably died. And so it's, like, her role as a mother is natural for her and also like natural because I guess she had to learn it, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but it's not wrong. It's just like, sometimes it, it can perhaps get blown out of proportion, just like the scamming can. Mm -hmm. So Katara defends herself though. And, um, she's like, I wasn't ever trying to be their mom. And she rip whips around and looks at Sokka and says, do I act motherly? And he's like, I'm staying out of this one. And she's like, well, how about you, Aang? And Aang kind of shuffles and is uncomfortable and goes, well, I, uh, and Katara's like, stop rubbing your eye and speak clearly when you talk. It's like, just intense. And, and Aang's like, yes, ma'am. Yes, I will. And so then the girls storm off and the hawk screeches and shakes its head. And Sokka's like, I know, hockey. Why can't they just get along? And I love them as a chorus. I love I love Aang and, and Sokka and Hockey as as the yes <laughs> as the the observers of the chorus watching this Titanic struggle. Yes, saying all the things that we want to say. So Song Aang, or sorry, Sokka Aang, Hockey and Momo all sit and watch the girls on opposite sides of the campsite, um, facing away from each other, and interesting thing that I noticed in this episode again is we see Aang's back. We see that big scar on his back. Um, his hair is growing out quite a bit. Uh, and he and Sokka look actually old. Like in this episode, they look older than I think I've ever noticed. Mm -hmm. um, it might just be the hair growth. I don't know. But I think that they have been like thinning out their faces and kind of giving them more, uh, more like man faces versus boyish faces. Um, but Sokka tells Aang that he has this plan to make peace between the girls. And his plan is to send a message with Haki to Katara, pretending that it was written by Toph. And Aang's like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So Sok Sokka writes on a piece of paper, 
Dear Katara, sorry for everything. Your friend, Toph. And then he sends hockey to Katara and she <laughs> opens it up and then yells, I know this is from you, Sokka. Toph can't write. You're all driving me crazy. And <laughs> Mike and I watched this and we were like, every time we watch it, we always forget that this like plan isn't going to work. Like for some reason, like we don't realize until Katara yells and we're like, Oh my gosh, like we're so dumb. Right. And it, <laughs> and it doesn't work for even a second. It's not like at first she's like, she doesn't even take a beat to realize this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it was a nice try, I guess. <laughs> and also why would Toph send a message through hockey? <laughs> I think all it is is Sokka just trying to justify his shopping purchase. Oh, sure. Sure. We all have that feeling of like, I bought this yeah. and I need to use it. Right? Um, so Aang and Sokka agree that they're idiots for thinking that that was going to work. And then Aang's like, well, why don't we just do the opposite and send a letter to Toph? And Sokka's like, I think we're going to run into the same problem if we do that. And so Sokka's living into this like older version of himself that we see more and more throughout physically, but also now like kind of mentally and emotionally. And he's like, I'm just going to go talk to Toph directly. I'm going to go mediate. And we see Katara floating in a stream by herself. She's um, down below kind of like underneath a, a ledge or a cliff. And um, she hears footsteps above her on the cliff. And it's the sound of Sokka and Toph chatting and approaching. So she kind of lays low under the cliff and in the water and gets to hear them. Also really clever of the writers to be like, she needs to be floating in water so that Toph can't sense her there. Right, right. Super smart, super smart. So um, Toph says, let me guess, you brought me here to tell me your sister is not as annoying as I make her out to be. And Sokka goes, nah, she's pretty much a pain. And Katara's eavesdropping down below on the stream and getting angry. And he's like, she always needs to be right about everything. And she gets all bossy and involved and in your business. But in a way, I rely on it. When our mom died, that was the hardest time in my life. Our family was a mess, but Katara, she had so much strength. She stepped up and took on so much responsibility. She helped fill the void left by our mom. And Toph says, I never really thought about her motherliness that way. And, so and, I, goes, and, and that's the kind of thing that we knew, but it is interesting to hear. I don't know that we've ever heard Sokka really say it. We've seen it. We've heard Katara comment on it, but it's interesting to, to hear, to hear Sokka say it. And, and this is sort of his way to say it to Katara without having to have this moment where he just says it to her. Yeah, exactly. So Sokka says, I'm going to tell you something crazy. I never told anyone this before, but honestly, I'm not sure that I can even remember what my mother looked like. It really seems like my whole life, Katara has been the one looking out for me. She's always been the one that's there. And now when I try to remember my mom, Katara's is the only face I could picture. And below in the stream, Katara begins to cry. This is such like a touching moment in an episode that is, doesn't always feel the most serious, you know, that it's about, you get your hockey jokes, you get your, your like scamming and this stuff. And then it's like, like, this is really pretty gutting this thought of like, you know, they talk so much about their parents and the yeah. importance of their parents and losing their parents. And to hear Sokka, the older one say, I, that's actually a memory that I've lost. I've lost the memory yeah. of what, she, of what she looks like, or it becomes 
merged with Katara. So it's both honoring to Katara, but it's also like deeply sad. Yeah. And like, we know this whole story is a story of refugees and orphans. And it's like all of these people we've come across have similar stories of like, yeah, memories fading over time. It's really sad. And then Toph says, the truth is, sometimes Katara does act motherly, but that's not always a bad thing. She's compassionate and kind, and she actually cares about me. And then here we see Toph rub tears in her own eyes, and she says, you know, the real me, that's more than my own mom can do. And then she smacks Sokka hard on the arm and tells him to keep this a secret, right? Like, this is another interaction he's not allowed to tell anybody. I love Sokka and Toph building up their secrets. Yeah. <laughs> so then back at the camp, Katara rubs uh, Momo's ears and she's waiting for Sokka and Toph to return. And um, as they do, Katara approaches Toph and she's about to say something, but Toph hushes her and is like, you don't need to apologize. Uh, I'll stop the scams. They've gotten out of control. But Katara says, that's actually not what I was going to say. She says she wants to pull a scam with Toph. And Aang and Sokka do this exaggerated faint in astonishment behind them. They have like foam coming out of their mouths, <laughs> like uh, very uh, anime, it seems. And um, the girls decide that they're going to do this scam alone. One last go. And this is also a classic thing in like con artist scam movies is the like you have the big build up to this is going well, we're doing this. And then you start to you start to sort of feel the heat. And then it's like all right, one last big job. Like, like, you know, and like, and this is where we're going to get the big score and this is going to be all that we need. Right. And, and so, so this, so I got excited when I heard, when I heard one last go, I was like, yes, this is, <laughs> this is, this fits in with the tropes of a, of a con artist movie. Yes. And so that, and then after that, it's like, now here's the plan. And it's like taking you through step-by-step step what they plan to do. And you know, it's not going to probably turn out right. Um, just like one of those heist movies. So the plan is to turn in Toph, receive the reward for her capture, and then Toph will metal bend her way out of jail into freedom and they will then have more money and they can move on to the next town. So this is where we go back to the cold open. We see Toph running, she's captured by the guards. She yells that Kat Katara betrayed her and uh, we see Toph being dragged away in a net by these Fire Nation guards. And then there's a larger, older man who, I don't know, I put the mayor, I'm not sure what his That works. Is. For some reason, he's the one giving away the reward money. And he tells Katara that she did the right thing in turning in her friend. And Katara says, the right thing is its own reward. And the man's like, I'm really glad to hear that. And Katara says, but I, I still actually want the reward. And so the man agrees and he leads her to go get it. And then we see the guards continue to drag Toph, who they think, like, they know she is a blind child. And they're dragging her in a net across the ground for who knows far, how long. And they throw her into a jail cell. But it's not made of metal. The entire jail, everything from the floor to the walls to the bars holding her in, it's all made of wood. And this is so interesting because, like, when you think about how powerful these people are, it's like wood does not seem that strong. So it's like, well, that wouldn't. But then you realize, like, well, Toph's actually kind of powerless here. 
Yeah, right. Like she's like, oh no, this plan is not, it's not going to according to plan. Um, so then we are inside of an office, the mayor's office, who knows where they are. Uh, but the large man is about to open a chest of money for Katara. But then the door opens behind them and the large man points towards Katara and says, that's the girl you've been looking for, right? And in the doorway is the tattoo-eyed assassin who like looms, he like has to duck under into the building. Um, he's that large. So... What do we call him? Sparky, Sparky Boom Man? Was that? Yes. <laughs> so, um, and they, what does she call him? Like uh, the, the three-eyed freak or something? Mm-hmm. Have a lot of nicknames for this guy. So back at the camp, Aang is pacing back and forth. And he and Sokka decide, like, it's been too long. We should check on them. This plan maybe isn't working. So Sokka leaves Appa in charge of keeping the peace between Hockey and Momo. And the animals hiss at each other, but Appa roars and hushes them. It is kind of terrifying. So uh, we get a little bit of, of animal storyline. I and like then, I like the idea of, of Appa as babysitter, though. Like <laughs> He looks like he's really annoyed by the task, but then he takes it pretty seriously. Uh, so Katara and Toph are sitting in the dark in the wooden jail cell, kind of like heads in their laps, just uh, demoralized. And... Toph all of a sudden yells, wait, it's a trap. And Katara sarcastically is like, really? No kidding? When did you think this was a trap? And Toph says, no, we are bait for Aang. They put us in jail and they're waiting for Aang to come. And uh, so this dawns on them, but then Katara, Katara's like, I just wanted to show you that I'm not motherly. Like, She's like, I thought this plan would work. And she's really feeling um, upset that she went through with it uh, and is helping to bait Aang. And she's like, I just wanted to show that I could have fun too. Which does, again, remind us of, of her first early interactions with Aang. Well, and, and this clearly this, this, this tension that exists within Katara that people, this is not the first episode where people point out to her that she's not fun. <laughs> Yeah, and and then it's yeah. in some way in some ways it's another version of her putting, um, putting Momo on her head or when she's in Sokka's master when she's trying to make the jokes. It's like the fact of the matter is like she's just not fun in these ways. She's not funny like that. She's not. She's. It's not that she's not fun, but she's like she's trying to conform to somebody else's version of fun and um you know like i think we've all had moments like that in our lives where it's like i'm doing the thing that i I think people want from me and it's going badly and sometimes leads to some pretty bad things right yes so um toff says like look you are fun you're especially fun to argue with right like you're you're fun just not in the ways that you are striving to be and, and trying to um, almost like disown who you are. And Katara then apologizes for bringing up Toph's relationship with her parents. And Toph reveals that she was mad partially because Katara was right. And she says, I try not to think about it, but when I left, I probably really hurt them. And she begins crying and Katara gives her a hug and comforts her. So then we go to Aang and Sokka walking through entirely empty streets. They're unsure of where to find their friends. And Aang says, I'm unsure of where to find anyone, right? Like there's no one on the streets right now. And above them is uh, a metal boot that clanks on a rooftop. 
and we zoom out and we see the assassin standing above and he takes a deep breath, readies to shoot. But as he breathes in, Aang is able to hear it, sense it. And just in time, he flings himself and Sokka out of the way of an oncoming explosion. And Aang goes, it's Sparky Sparky Boom Man. Great, great joke. And then uh, uh, Sokka's like, I think that doesn't fit. Like, I think we're going to need a different name for this guy. Even though it was Sokka's name. (laughs) (laughs) So the assassin jumps from the rooftop, um, inhales again, and then shoots another explosive uh, from the tattooed forehead. Now, one of the things... One of the things that I'm so unsure about is like, are we ever going to learn what this guy is? Right. Why is it a tattoo? <laughs> well, and like, and like, what is the nature of his power? Why is he part machine or part metal <laughs> or like, like, yeah, I'm so interested in him and I don't think he said a word all, all season. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm just curious to know, like, are we sometimes people like this appear for a while and then they go away. Like, like we didn't really, really learn a lot about June. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, she just sort of popped up and was in this episode and was really interesting. And then you don't hear anything more about it. Like, like, I don't know that we have space for a lot of sparky, sparky boom man um, <laughs> backstory or explanation, but I'm just curious. Are there other people like him in the world? Because yeah. his power seems, as we talked about before, his power seems so overwhelming and it seems unrelated to bending. It seems unrelated to elements. Like he takes a deep breath and I don't even know what shoots out because it's not fire. Mm-hmm. It's energy of some kind. So it makes me wonder, like, is there another force at work in the world? But then I think, like, I can't imagine this guy is going to be that big of a of a figure or character because he seems uninteresting compared to all the interesting people so yeah i don't know i mean it sounds bad but he just does seem kind of robotic like he just is a machine meant to kill like there's not Mm -hmm. really any backstory that we've yeah that we've had developed so far i I think i think it's part of it it's part of the power of like the fact that he doesn't talk yeah like he has no personality he just seems like he seems like the Terminator or something, you know, yeah. like this robot that, yeah. Yes. Um, so then in the jail cell, <clears throat> Toph is, is kind of pacing around, stressing out. And she's like, I wish we had earth or water. Bendables is what she called them. I really like that. Uh, and Katara's like, well, what about your meteor bracelet? You could make a saw. Uh, but the bracelet is back at the camp. Toph was worried that it would be confiscated when she was arrested. So they're out of luck. And Katara, anxious, uh, wipes some sweat from her forehead. But then she looks at her hand and realizes that they do have bendables. And so she starts to jog in place. And Toph hears her moving and is confused. Like, what are you doing? And Katara decides to uh, continue running, bends the sweat from her face, and slices at the wooden bars. And Toph says, Katara, you're a genius. You're a sweaty, stinky genius. And then outside, the boys keep evading the assassin's blasts. And uh, they decide to split up because he can't chase both of them. And Aang runs on a rooftop above, but the assassin hears him and shoots an explosive. And it causes Aang to fly through the air and hit the Ozai statue on the town square. 
He's able to land on his feet, but then he drops to the ground in pain. And it looks like this could be the final blow. But um, as the assassin stands above Aang, he inhales again deeply, just as an icy water stream hits him in the back of the head with great force and then freezes around his head. And Katara is standing behind him uh, and she and Toph and the gang run off. And as they do, Toph turns one more time and shoots one last boulder at the assassin who easily explodes it. But there's like a little piece of shrapnel, like there's a little rock that continues to move and hits him square in the tattoo eye where he can shoot out his like energy or explosive or whatever it is. And he doubles over in pain and we see him trying to shoot through his tattoo again, but being unable to, and like the energy forces him backwards rather than escapes from his tattoo. So lots of interesting things here. Did they yes. see what happened? That's the part I am unclear of. Cause like, so we have now just had, had his, a weakness of his revealed. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, which makes me realize that um, yes, he has these three eyes, but in reality, he's actually like he's actually like the Cyclops, like from the Odyssey, right? That that the way that um, that they defeat the Cy Cyclops is they uh, put a a spear into the Cyclops's eye. That's how Odysseus. One of the ways yeah. Odysseus he both outsmarts him, but then you know basically punctures his eye to blind him. And we realize that actually he's all of his power resides there. And that actually seems like a, like a weak spot. This also feels like video game logic. Like it's an end boss. And what you have to realize this happens in Zelda games. It's like, there's one spot where you can hit this person. And if you do, you can kind of disable them. So yeah. now we know this trick, this hack to, to Sparky, Sparky, boom, man. But what I don't know is do they, because it's not like Toph shot something at his eye. She shot a boulder at him to almost buy them time to escape. And it just so happened that this this little piece of rock hits hits him in the 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 forehead. So that's one of the things I'm unsure of. Right. Yes. It's like timing wise, they're running away. Uncertain if we can see. Like there's like kind of some smoke and debris flying around. Who knows? I hope they saw it. <laughs> I don't like this. I don't like that enemy. I think that he. I think that it is it is so robotic and machine-like that I just am not that invested in it. Like, I would rather have them be confronted by Azula. Or, and I know that that probably can't happen until later, but I just want him out of the picture. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. He, I'm not, I'm not, I'm only excited to see him if it means I'm also going to see Zuko or it means I'm going to learn something about him to explain him in this world. He, he also feels like he just sort of dropped in out of nowhere. So we, yeah. we, I'm 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 trusting the sh the creators of this show that we're going to at some point get enough about him to be like, oh, that's actually a pretty interesting character or a pretty interesting figure at least in this show. As of right now, yeah, I'm disappointed when it's like, oh, it's about this guy, you know. Yeah. I hope Sparky Sparky Boom Man has a redemption story. <laughs> yes. That would be so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so as the gang runs away, Sokka then finally nicknames him. And he's like, I came up with the perfect name, Combustion Man. And they're like, all right, sure, whatever. They go along with it. But like I said, I'm on board with that name now because it came from Sokka. So I, yes. I we're, we're going with Combustion Man, even though it is. it That also feels like a weird, like, um, 
like an 19, x-man or something it feels like to me like a 1980s nintendo uh villain in a game where they're just like they're just not because it's because what it sounds like is something that was like in a game from japan that got brought over here and it just got translated and they didn't put a lot of time into it and it's like combustion man okay yeah. It's like Wreck-It Ralph or something, but yeah. yeah, Combustion Man. Not great, but um, better than Sparky Sparky Boom Man. So That's true. Easier uh, to say. Yeah. So then we see it's nightfall, um, and Appa lands after flying, and uh, the, the gang is yawning after, after the rest of their travels, and they're ready for another night of sleep at a new campsite. And Toph then goes to Katara and says that she wants to ask her a favor. She'd like Katara to write down some things for her to send in a letter to her parents. And so they send off her note with Haki, who soars into the night. And then we have a moment of silence, and Saka says, hey, where'd Haki go? And then it's the end. Thoughts? So, yeah, so, uh, one, I mean, the small thing, are we going to see Haki again? Is Haki, because you um, said... You said temporarily part of the gang, and it's like, so he goes to send this letter. I presume this letter will get either intercepted, <laughs> which would which will make for interesting story, or it'll get delivered, which will make for interesting story. Um, but yeah, I'm wondering if, if 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 hockey will return at some point. I actually have an answer to one of our questions at the end of an episode, Sam. Unfortunately, this is the story arc of hockey. That's it. He does not. Yeah, we do not see him again. Um, and here's probably why. So I actually read a couple of things. So um, when Sokka just bought hockey and he's walking through the street and he sees the wanted poster before that, there's a couple other posters hanging on the wall. One is for like a theater production that um, it's, yeah, it's a play that will be referenced later on. Mm -hmm. um, so hold on to that. The other poster is for a training class for your messenger Hawk. So I think it's safe. Oh, so hockey assume. doesn't know how to. <laughs> I think hockey probably knows how to get to maybe like, like let's hope that he can get that heartfelt note to her parents. But I think after that, hockey's like, cool. Well, I guess I'll just stay like in this beautiful uh, lush garden of, of Toph's parents. You house, know what? Right? Good like, for hockey. Yeah. He yeah. did his one job. He can now live a free bird. Yeah. I like it. Or at least yeah. a rich bird, even if he's not free. Right. Yeah. I mean, like he might have some other tasks, but yeah, he's got money. It's a beautiful garden. Maybe he'll help fill the void of the missing child. They can spend time with him. That's the same thing, right? I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Hockey is the new top. <laughs> yeah. So that's the end of that story. Um, any other questions? I probably can't answer anymore. Yeah. Well, I, I, you can answer this because I'm curious. What are, you, what are your overall thoughts on this episode? I mean, this definitely, I'm trying to think if we think about like what was accomplished by this episode, in some ways we have some things that it, it, it mirrors the beach in some ways where we got a little bit of people, wrestling with their relationships with each other wrestling mm -hmm. with their pasts a little bit um yep. you know it's it, 
so so I, I think it, it in some ways it is a companion piece with the beach. Now, if they put these right next to each other, it might feel a little bit much like, okay, so everybody's sort of having this moment. <laughs> I also feel like you could have taken this storyline if you wanted to, um, you'd have to shorten the beach up a little bit, but if you wanted to do the beach and this, because then you would get some pairings of, of people dealing with parents and, and stuff like that. That's actually would is kind of interesting. It might be a bit much in one episode, but I, I feel like it, so it accomplishes some of the same things the beach does for, for a different group of people. Um, we actually only, in terms of pushing the, the combustion man story forward, the only thing that we get is we learn about this weakness. Um, right. I'm trying to think what did combustion man tell the people of that city to say that he was looking for these kids? What did he reveal? Oh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, did he reveal anything about the avatar or that these are, because like, otherwise, how do you just get to like, capture people is it just these are, is this a corrupt official you can just pay off because how does he get them to turn in katara if he is the chief of police or the mayor or something like that i think it's maybe similar to like toff scamming uh Sokka, right and being like here's money just don't don't yeah. ask right like no you're I probably right i think he would want to reveal because Remember when the the first messenger hawk we met this season uh, and, and those two guys that sent it off when they saw the avatar, like a part of the original episode was that those two guys get murdered because he doesn't want anyone to know that the avatar exists like that is his express goal from Zuko. So I feel like he wouldn't give away that information. He just gives so much money that it's like, okay, <laughs> we won't like, we'll put him in jail. I don't know. You you got something you need from them, right? Right, right. Yeah, so so we learn about his weakness. And then, I mean, I think my big question is, like, what is the next step? Where do we go from here? We've had, you know, if we look think about these last couple episodes, these last four or five episodes, we've um, been spending a lot of time learning about our characters and their interaction. We have the Avatar and the Fire Lord, which lays a lot of groundwork towards the end game, But, like, this happened a few times, I guess, in season one, especially where we got to the end of an episode and I, and I just sort of felt like I'm not, I, I don't know that I can predict what the next thing is other than mm-hmm. I feel like we, we haven't really seen Azula in a while. I mean, she was in Avatar and the Fire Lord in passing, but it's like, we haven't seen much with her. Um, I feel like, I feel like we're due for a, a, a Zuko Iroh. Or or yes. or just an Iro thing or a white lotus. There's so many strands that are laying there, and I feel like they'll pick up one or two of them in the next episode. I would assume, but I just don't know which ones. Right, exactly. It's like we left off all these people with, yeah, like Iro's ripped now. Like I forgot mm-hmm. that that was a thing because so much has happened. <laughs> like I I was like working out and getting swell, and so it's like, when is that gonna? be anything or and he's he's also he's and along with that he's also now playing chess as well like he's also like he is working with zuko he's trying to push zuko in a particular direction so like he's back on the game board he was out for a while 
then he worked out for an episode and now it's like <laughs> like we could do there there's so much more he has a plan in place that that's that's moving um mm-hmm. i presume azula has a plan in place that's moving um I, again i we talked about this uh, last week's episode but like i'm ready for like the lady macbeth episode with azula like that's that's what i really mm-hmm. really want um and uh and we know what the next the title to the next episode is and it's vague but it's kind of awesome because yeah. what is the ne- what is the title of the next episode? The Puppet Master. Okay, so this leads us to speculate. Uh, we don't often do this, but like what I want to do is think about who is the Puppet Master and who is the puppet. I mean, mm. it feels like this could be Iroh in mm. prison because we already see that he's able to do things in prison that that we didn't expect. Like he gets this message to Zuko. He has this artifact. So like, is, 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 is this about Iroh secretly behind the scenes being a puppet master for things? Is this about Zula be uh, Azula being a puppet master? Maybe this is the Macbeth storyline that I was hoping for where she <laughs> is now trying to create a situation where Zuko becomes fire Lord and, potentially her puppet or at least her laying the groundwork for that is it some other she she is a puppet master type figure where she knows how to play the game of politics and those kinds of ways like i'm so excited for where this next episode goes um that i I hope it's a good so what i don't know is if the puppet master is considered like a great episode or a meh episode or somewhere in between but but i'm excited for that title so if i'm predicting where it goes i think that's going to be it's going to be more in the line of where Avatar and Fire Lord was pointing us than anything else this season has been. I've loved this season, but a lot of it has not necessarily been pushing, majorly pushing the story forward. Now, mm-hmm. I, I'm presuming the Puppet Master is um, is one of those two. Do you have speculations, or do you know so you don't want to say? I know. Okay. So, so, <laughs> I know. so. So you're for you're you're excused from from having to speculate here. So so yes. I will just lay out those are the those are my two things, and maybe maybe they're both puppet masters, or maybe I'm totally wrong. Can I? And maybe maybe okay. Zuko is the puppet they're both vying for. <laughs> Can I give? It's, okay, I have two things to say. They're not spoilers, but one, it's really good. I really like that episode. That's why I remember the name of it. I really like that one. Um, two, it was kind of a a Halloween special, a little bit. Oh, interesting. So it's not like not a Halloween special in the way that like normally they are, where it's like there's this is just fluff. They made it especially very creepy. So it's a it's a scary but really good episode. Oh, awesome! I am so excited to see that. Any any last thoughts on this episode? Oh, no, I'm just so excited for the rest of the season. I yeah, I, I really, done. I really feel like we're pointing in a direction. So we've sort of hit the, the third, a third of the way through the, uh, through the, the season at this point. This was episode seven. There's 13 left. Um, so I feel like we're probably approaching a double episode pretty soon because they tend to put one around here somewhere. So I would assume somewhere coming up, we ha- we'll have a. 
uh, one of our, what I think are two double episodes this uh, this season. So um, that is all the time that we have for this week. We will be back next week to talk about book three, Fire, Chapter 8. The Puppet Master.